Well, good morning, church. He has given us a wonderful song to sing this morning. Amen? I tell you, uh, I hope everyone has had... Thank you, Caleb. I hope everyone's had a wonderful weekend. We've had a blast this weekend. I had no idea Snyder could be so fun. Uh, this Friday, we had a chance to go see the, uh, the skit guys. And uh, I know I saw a few of you that were there, and I had a good time with that. And then uh, last night, we had a chance to go to our first rodeo. Yeah, and I asked in Bible class this morning, I said, how many people are at the rodeo? I had one person raise their hand. You guys have grown up with these things, haven't you? They're great. I mean, getting to run around in the dirt, the mud, watching horses. There was this one point where this guy jumps off a horse. He was a good-looking cowboy. He runs over. He takes this rope thing in his hands. He takes the, the calf, and he wraps it around the calf's leg, and he lays there. He doesn't move. And my little six-year-old looks up at me and says, Daddy, is it dead? At first, the kids were very concerned. They thought they were killing the poor animals. But, but no, the, the calf finally got up and walked away and had a good time. So we had a good time. Hope you had a good time as well. Um, we don't have a lot of rodeos back in Tennessee, but uh, I think every one of my kids wants to go get cowboy hats this week. Uh, they think they're cowboys anyway. Um, so we started talking about outreach over the last few weeks. And uh, basically, the long story short is I'm just trying to uh, go back to the Bible and, and see what the Bible says about outreach. Just kind of go back and see what Jesus did. We've been asking the question, how did Jesus make disciples? And, and we've, uh, you know, we've been talking about the fact that, that we need a little bit more of that, I think, in our day and time. We need to go back and revisit um, what did Jesus do to spread this thing called the kingdom of God. And a long time ago, when I got into disciple-making movements, I came across a video that was made by this one particular disciple group, disciple-making group, and I thought it was such a good video, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to share that with you this morning, but, but this video has always inspired me because it's, it's kind of given me a picture of what I think disciple-making movements could look like if we started to adopt these things here and do disciple, maybe something like this.
always inspires me. So we're going to go back to the Bible one last time this morning. I'm not sure if this is going to be my final sermon in this series. I know that we've done this series now for three months, believe it or not, three months. Um, but I think this might be the last one. Uh, we have Easter coming up in the next couple of weeks. Um, but we may go back and revisit one more thing that God has laid on my heart regarding these, these particular issues. Um, but we wanted to go back to the Bible, and we started this last week, and I told you this week that we were going to be laying out kind of a, a model, if you will, just going to Scripture and looking, how, looking at how Jesus made disciples. And we started last week by looking at Jesus, and I'm just going to go through this very quickly again. Um, but if you notice, uh, last week we talked about after Jesus was baptized, what was the very first thing that he did? Before he starts his ministry, the Bible says that he goes out into the wilderness to fast and to pray. And if you remember, we talked about why did he do this? He did this because, yes, the Bible says that, that uh, the Spirit drove him out into the wilderness. It was for the purpose of him being tested. There was uh, some things that he had to go through before he started that public ministry. But I suggested to you last Sunday that another reason is because what's about to happen after he leaves and goes up to Galilee to start his ministry? He's going to choose the first of his 12 disciples. And one of the things that you see Jesus do all throughout Scripture, before he ever does anything, is he always takes it to the Lord God in prayer. Why? Because what did Jesus say about his ministry? He said, I don't speak of my own accord. He says, whatever I see the Father doing, that's what I do. Whatever I hear the Father saying, that's what I say. And I want to suggest to you this morning that the reason why Jesus does and says the things that he does all throughout the Gospels is not because he's uniquely different and we're never supposed to be like him. It's because we are to be like him and he's showing us how to live the life of God. We're not supposed to do anything. We're not supposed to say anything unless God says it. We're not supposed to do anything unless God shows it. And the reason why he goes into fasting and prayer is because it's in that place of 95-5 time, like I call it 95-5 time, it's in that place of communion with the Lord that the Lord then begins to reveal to you his plans for other people. He begins to reveal to you his plans for the mission. Okay, so he's full of the spirit. He comes out of this time of 95 five time. He overcomes Satan through the word of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the first thing he does when he goes up to Galilee is he starts to serve with purpose. The very first thing he does is he attends to the needs of the people. Right. So he goes out there and the, one of the first things that you start to see Jesus do is he starts performing acts of love. This is where you begin to see him, um, for example, healing people and uh, casting out demons and uh, doing different things for different people. Now, why is Jesus doing these things? I suggested to you last Sunday that the reason why is because on one hand, it gives confirmation of the words that he's saying. It's one thing for me to say to you that I'm, I've come to you this morning and, um, and I have a message from the Lord to share with you. Well, that may or may not be the case. But it's another thing when you see a demonstration of the power of God to go along with the message to basically the Holy Spirit saying, hey, listen, I'm here, listen to Him. <laughs> right? Now, I'm not going to um, say this story as a, as a, as a way for you to, to look at me. Okay, but I want to share a very short story with you because it's a story that happened. It, 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 it's attested. It was witnessed. 
And it's an example that I can think of that is close to me of these very types of things. We were having a conversation in a Bible class about three years ago, and we were talking about how the power of the blood of God, uh, the blood of the Lamb, can free you from your sins. That was the topic of conversation. And right in the middle of this Bible class that we were having at church, this woman was sitting there, and she begins to shriek. She begins to yell. She begins to scream. She begins to manifest what we now know looking back was a demonic entity. And, and I, I will be honest with you, it scared everybody. This is a church of Christ, okay? So imagine, things like that don't happen very often that you, you would realize. Well, everyone was kind of taken back, and so they're like, well, what do we do? And the first thing that we thought of was, well, what did Jesus do, right? And what did Jesus do? When Jesus would take the gospel to these areas, when he would take light into that domain of darkness, well, guess what? The domain of darkness does not like it when the light comes in. And so oftentimes what will happen is you will see the demonic begin to manifest in people's lives. And that's what happened here. Well, what did Jesus do? He stood up in the power that God had given him, and he said, and he didn't say in the name of Jesus, that's his own name, right? But he said, leave, get out, go, right? So we looked at this lady, and we knew what was happening. We said, in the name of Jesus Christ, leave. And that's when she looked at me and started laughing, and I said, oh, wait, oh, this is not good. We all prayed together the second time, and we said, by the blood of the Lamb, in the name of Jesus, leave this woman. And she collapsed in her chair collapsed in her chair, came to, and today is doing much, much, much better. But what I learned is that she had only been visiting the church for a couple of months, and she was very, very involved in spiritism. She believed that she could contact spirits. Well, she had opened herself up to those things. Now, the one reason why Jesus does this is because it is a confirmation. Jesus says the kingdom of God has come near. Well, when you see things like that, it is evident that it's come near. But here's another reason why Jesus does those things. The reason why he serves with purpose is because it's through serving that the Holy Spirit reveals the person that he's already been working on that you have an opportunity to share the gospel with. Okay, so that's the next thing that you see Jesus doing is when he goes up to Galilee, he starts looking for persons of peace. You say, well, wait a minute, Tim, I've never heard that phrase, persons of peace. I'll I'll share with you why I call them persons of peace here in a moment. Persons of peace actually comes out of Matthew 10 and Luke 10. And we're going to go over there here in just a moment. But who are the first four persons of peace that Jesus encounters and and calls to be his disciples? What is a person of peace? What I'm going to share with you in a moment is a person of peace is someone whom the Holy Spirit has already been working on that you don't know about. And that that person, God has probably been working on that person their whole lives, and they don't even know it yet. And God is about to to create a divine appointment where you, because you're listening to the Holy Spirit, and and you're, you're on mission with God, and this person's heart's ready, and what's going to happen is the Holy Spirit is going to connect you to so that you have an opportunity to share. Well, who are the first four persons of peace that Jesus chooses to be his disciples? Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They're receptive. They're open to God's word. They don't know anything. That's okay. You don't have to have any prerequisites whatsoever. You just have to have a heart that's interested. And that's exactly what you see here. How do you know? Because easy. When Jesus went up to them and said, come with me, what do they do? They left everything. 
Right? God had already worked that out in their hearts. Now, this is not the first time they've seen Jesus. Several of these guys saw Jesus back down in the Jordan River. A lot of them were baptized by John. So they all knew each other by this point. They had heard about Jesus. They heard what John had said about Jesus. The Holy Spirit had already been working on their hearts. And when the time was right, when, God, when Jesus said, come and follow me, they came and they followed him. Okay? So he finds persons of peace. Well, then what does Jesus do at this point once he chooses his disciples? He disciples them, doesn't he? He spends time with them. Now, you want to know where I think we're going to have the biggest problem in America discipling? Is right there. Um, Terry, you and I were talking the other day about uh, how hard it is. One of the biggest struggles that we have, and I don't think it's just just here, it's, it's churches everywhere, is that we struggle with time, don't we? Right? It's very hard. I was talking to Luke just a moment ago, and I, I totally forgot that, there's a, that we have a 2.30 meeting uh, to plan for Easter, the Easter worship service, but I completely forgot there's a 2 o'clock meeting for CR, you know? And it's just like, and, and I, you hear that, and if you're like most people, you're like, oh, another meeting, you know? <laughs> more things I've got to do, more things I've got to do. Well, the only way discipleship can actually happen is when you spend lots of time with people, you get to know them, you know their hearts, you know their hang-ups, you know their background, and you, you, you can use your life to influence their life. But guess what? That doesn't happen overnight. That doesn't happen with a sermon. That doesn't happen with a Bible class. That doesn't happen with a program. That happens when we sit down at the table with each other at night and have dinner. That happens when we sit down and we cry with each other as we walk through difficult circumstances. That happens when I open up my heart to you and I share my personal struggles and you know what I'm dealing with and you help me fight through those things with fasting and prayer. See, those are the the things that Jesus did with his disciples. They become his apprentices. They learned the things he taught. They saw him live these things. Um, They went with him on mission. They saw him help others. They participated with Jesus helping. Um, They watched the miracles. They helped with these things. They helped with the people. They watch time and time again the Holy Spirit bring specific, strategic people to Jesus so that he could set them free. Um, So he does this for how long before he sends them out? I don't know. I tried to go back and look because I was curious. Once you get over to Matthew chapter 9 and Jesus sends out the 12 for the first time, at what point in Jesus' ministry is that? The best I can gather is about a year. About one year into it, Jesus sends them out for the first time. And that's the last thing that I'm going to put up here for this, is that after he disciples them, he teaches them along the way to embrace multiplication. In other words, it's in the DNA of the follower from day one that if you're a follower, you, choose, you find someone else. See, we don't do that. We don't engender that in the DNA of Christians today. What we engender in the DNA of Christians today is come to church, come to church, come to church, come to church, (laughs) right? And there's nothing wrong with come to church. But from day one, he has shown them by example that they are not to be about themselves. They are always to be about with other people. They are always to be about following the Holy Spirit in the mission and always being attentive to what the Holy Spirit is doing out in the community around them. That is what he taught them from day one. Now, that brings us then to the text that we looked at last week, which was Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. And if you remember, we just looked at the first verse. We just looked at the first verse. So we're going to dig in a little bit deeper, and we're going to watch this. So, with the 12, 
you see this pattern yet again. Now, it doesn't mention, mention them specifically here in our passage in Luke, that they fasted and prayed. But when you look at the parallel passage over in Matthew, it mentions it, okay? Here's the passage up on the screen. I'm sorry it's so small. I, it was bigger on my computer <laughs> when I did it. It wasn't quite this small. But in Matthew chapter 9, 37 through 38, it says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray, right? Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. So they pray for God to send out workers, and then Jesus prepares them to be the answer to their own prayer. Amen? Okay? So he sends out the twelve. So what do they do? Well, they begin to serve with purpose. It's the first thing that they do. He tells them to go out. Look at with me. Uh, Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and cure diseases. What is he planning to have them do? Serve people, right? You go up to the people that are demon-possessed, that are in bondage, you set them free. You go to people that are, are, um, that are struggling, who have ailments of all kinds, you bring them healing, okay? So the first thing you have to remember about going on mission with Jesus is that it is 100% led by the Holy Spirit. I want to say that again. When you go on mission with Jesus, the model is, is that you are there 100% of the time following the Holy Spirit where He's going and doing what He's telling you to do. So what do you do while you're there? Well, while you're serving, while you're praying for people, while people are getting healed, while people are getting sick, you're also teaching about Jesus Christ. And so as you're doing that, you're looking for what? You're looking for persons of peace. And again, remember the goal is to go into a town to find somebody that the Holy Spirit has already been working with. Now continue reading with me, uh, Luke chapter 9, verses 4 through 6. Whatever house that you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people don't welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and they went from village to village proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Now, Matthew's gospel tells us a little bit more about these persons of peace. Matthew chapter 10, verses 11 through 14. Look at what it says on the screen. It says, whatever town or village you enter, search there, search there. Did you catch that? Search there for a worthy person. Worthy of what? Worthy of him. Worthy of Jesus. Worthy of the gospel. And, and, and it says, when you find that person, stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. Which, what was the common greeting for Jews back then? Shalom, right? Which means peace. So Jesus says, when you walk in, offer them my peace. Offer them shalom. If the home is deserving, let your shalom rest in it. If it is not, let your shalom come back to you. Take it back. Take back your shalom. Don't give it to him, he says. And if anybody will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off of your feet. Now I want you to notice, where does Jesus place the emphasis? When you go into a town, your primary objective is to search out for the ones that the Holy Spirit has made ready. Isn't that fascinating? Search out for the ones that the Spirit has already made ready. The worthy one. 
Who's the worthy one? Again, the worthy one is somebody who's willing to listen. They're willing to sit down. You're there and you're serving, uh, you go into a town, you're serving on the soup kitchen line and all the people are coming in and you, you just go up to them and you say, hey, listen, you know, we're doing this, this Bible study right here at the soup kitchen on Tuesday nights. Would you be willing to come and discover God with me? And they say, yeah, you know, I've been thinking about that. I, 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 I would love something like that in my life. Guess what? Stop, full stop. You just found a person of peace. You just found a person of peace. You just found someone that the Spirit has been working on, and He has set that up for you. Okay, so Jesus sends out the twelve, and what happens? Luke chapter 9, verse 10 says, When they returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done, and then He took them with Him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. Now watch this. What was the result of their ministry? Verse 11 tells us that, that on the day when they returned, there were crowds of people that followed. How big were the crowds? I don't know how big the crowds were, but I will tell you that if you're in Luke chapter 9, the very next story that you're going to read right after that verse is Jesus feeding the 5,000. Where did they all come from? Well, his news was spreading all over the place, but Jesus had just sent out the 12 to proclaim the good news. And now, now there's hundreds of people that have come back. Hundreds of people that have come back, okay? Now, you continue then in Luke chapter 9. You keep, keep reading past that story of Jesus feeding the, the 5,000. And again, you see Jesus teaching these people. You see him healing people. And then you get to Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. And this is what kind of weeds out the crowd a little bit. Because remember, not everybody's going to follow Jesus. Even the ones that are interested, not everybody's going to be a disciple, right? And so Jesus kind of weeds out the crowd a little bit, and he reminds them of some very important things that I think you and I need to remember about discipleship. And he says, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head. He came to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And still another person said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Those are hard words, man. I'll be honest with you. I don't, I don't, in our modern day time, I don't see Jesus depicted like this very often. But this is real. And, and, and there's a book that was written a long time ago uh, by a man who um, died uh, in World War II. Uh, he, faced, he stood up against um, Hitler. His name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. If you have never read that book, uh, I, would, I would highly recommend that you read that book. But there is a cost. There is a cost to following Christ. And, and what he's wanting them to understand is, is that, yes, you're seeing miracles. Yes, you're seeing people's lives changed. You're hearing things that you never heard before. But you have to understand that to follow Jesus, that means something. There is a cost that comes along with following him. So what happens? Well, when you get to the very next story, he sends out the 72. He didn't send out the 5,000. <laughs> and now, I, I, maybe I'm reading too much into it. Maybe so, 
But I think the reason why he sends out the 72 and not the 5,000 is because he weeded out a lot of people with some of the things that he was saying. Bear your father? Don't bear your father. You bear your father, you're not worthy of me. I mean, that's hard to hear from the pulpit, isn't it? Okay, so we get to the 72. And the first thing that somebody's going to say is, well, my Bible says 70. And your Bible does, okay? There is a textual variant, which means that there's a lot of old manuscripts, and some of them have 70, and some of them have 72. And you want to know why it's important? It ain't. <laughs> I mean, really, it's not. It, whether it's 70 or 72, it doesn't matter. In fact, I like the 72 because it, it reiterates the fact that when Jesus sent them out, he didn't send them out by themselves. He sent them out two by twos, right? Um, but anyway, I thought I'd point that out real quick. Okay, so we get to the sending out of the 72. So Jesus has shown us a model of fasting and praying, serving with purpose, finding persons of peace, discipling them over a period of time, teaching them to embrace multiplication. About a year later, when he starts to send out his disciples, he follows the same model. They fast, they pray, uh, they go out, they serve with purpose, they find persons of peace, and now he's going to send out the 72. And guess what? He's going to follow the same exact pattern. Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. Read with me. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag, or sandals, and do not greet anybody on the road. Why do you think he says these things? Because the mission is important. You don't waste time. You don't take a bag or sandal. Why? Because this whole thing is from the Holy Spirit from beginning to end. You ain't going to need it anyway. That's radically different than the way that we think today. Radically different. He says, don't take anything with you. I will give you what you need. I will supply what you need as you go along. So what are they supposed to do when they go? Well, he tells them, go and find out persons of peace. But the first thing that they do is they serve with purpose. Skip down to verse 8 with me. Verse 8. It says, when you enter a town and you are welcome, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there. Um... Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. Um, I wanted to, to mention this for a quick moment because I accidentally skipped this in my notes. But John chapter 4, verse 35, if you notice, Jesus time and time again likens outreach to a harvest that's ready. And he says this curious phrase in John 4.35. He says, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Now, I don't know much about riping fields, but I have learned that, that when the harvest is ready, what happens is the fields become like a white color, a whitish color. So when they were standing there looking out, they were literally looking out over the fields that were white. And once they become white, you only have a small window of time an opportunity to go out and pick it so that you could pick it at its best, right? What is the point that Jesus is trying to make? The Spirit has been working on people for a long time. Some of these people he's been working on 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, and their hearts are ready 
So do you, do you understand now why you don't waste time? See, we don't think like this. We think that if I go out and I, and I do enough good works and preach enough that I will eventually change people's minds and hearts so that I'll bring them to Christ. That's not how it works. The Holy Spirit does the work. And right now in Snyder, Texas, there are people that God has been working on for decades. And they're, they're ready. They're ready. But you know what they need? They need you. They just need you to go tell them about Jesus Christ. And that's the point that he's doing here. So how do you do that? And I skipped ahead and I apologize. I got lost in my, my own notes here. You serve with purpose. And that's what you see in verses 8 all the way through 11. And again, this is what Jesus did when he went out to preach the gospel. This is what he taught his disciples to do. And now this is what he's teaching their disciples to do, these 72 that we're talking about. Now, while you're serving with purpose, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to be looking for persons of peace. Right there, first persons of peace. Read with me beginning at verse 5. When you enter a house, say, peace to this house, shalom to this house. Again, same thing he told the 12, right? If someone who promotes peace is there, somebody who promotes shalom is there, your peace will rest upon them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. In other words, that's God's provision to you, isn't it? I remember when I was in um, Tiffany, uh, this, no, Tiffany wasn't on this trip with me, but we went to Guinea, and our job was to take funds that the missionaries uh, had sent over to the churches in Guinea and Africa. And right across the border, there was a war that was happening in Sierra Leone. And uh, there were a lot of refugees that were coming up. And we were in this one town called Yamasukro. And I remember there was this one family that had hosted us. Had hosted us and uh, the missionary took me aside before we went in. And he said, listen, we're going to have dinner tonight. Just whatever they give you, eat it. <laughs> and, I, and I said, and that made me nervous. I said, what are they going to feed us? <laughs> and they fed us something called futu, which is a, a local dish there. And it's made with smoked fish and peanut butter. Doesn't that sound good? Not a single person is agreeing with me on that one. So I, had, I went in with this, with this mindset. Be prepared to eat tuna fish with peanut butter. And I did, and it was horrible. But anyway, all right. But the point is, don't turn down what's given to you because it's obvious that the Holy Spirit is behind this meeting. And by the way, this is your provision. The reason why you didn't bring a purse and a bag is because God also knows you need to have something to eat too. And you're going to trust the Holy Spirit in this process. Now, the point is to find persons of peace. Now, you guys might be asking the question, okay, well, are there persons of peace in the Bible? Yes, yes. Let me give you a few examples of persons of peace. Remember the woman at the well. The woman at the well was a person of peace. Jesus goes, he's on mission. He takes the gospel to a new territory, the Samaritans. He's got all these people that... Um, you know, he's going to try to minister to. He's got a big problem with the conservative denomination behind him because all they want to do is condemn them, right? <laughs> they would say, let's call fire down and let's destroy those people. Jesus had another uh, plan in mind because he knew that the Holy Spirit was already working on a woman who went to the well every few days outside the city he already knew that this woman was broken, that she had had five husbands, and the man that she was living with currently was not her husband. He already knew what was going in her heart. The Holy Spirit had revealed those things to her. And so it wasn't just a chance encounter. 
it was a strategic moment. That's a person of peace. Let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit accomplished through that woman in five minutes more than a missionary could have accomplished in Samaria in five years. All because he revealed what was on the inside of that woman's heart, and that changed her. How did it change her? So much so that when you read John chapter 4, verses 28 through 30, twice in that passage, she goes back and she runs into the town of the Samaritans, and she says, you're not going to believe it. He told me everything I've ever done. He told me everything I've ever done. And you know what the most important thing is? Is what she doesn't say. And he didn't condemn me. And he didn't condemn me. Because that's what you would expect the Messiah to do, to be the one to throw the first stone at this woman. But no, he didn't condemn me. But see, that's the power of a person of peace. It's a, it's, a, it's a strategic moment where the Holy Spirit has been working on somebody and He connects you with that person. And in that moment, something amazing takes place because what happens is she goes back and becomes the first missionary to the Samaritans and it says the whole town comes to Christ because of that woman. That's a person of peace. Are there other persons of peace in the Bible? Sure there is. Remember Cornelius in the book of Acts chapter 10? That's a person of peace. God used that man to take the gospel out to the Gentiles. Remember the Ethiopian eunuch in, in uh, Acts chapter 8. God used that man to take the gospel down into southern Africa. Um, Lydia is a person of peace. The Philippian jailer is also a person of peace. Remember, what is a person of peace? It's just somebody the Spirit's been working on for a long time. And they're going to use you to talk to them because you know the gospel message. Okay. Well, what happens after that? After that, you take a period of time to disciple them so that they can go out and they can tell their circle of friends and their neighborhood and their culture in the same way. Now, I love this because watch what happens this time when these 72 come back to Jesus. Luke chapter 10, see if I have it here, verse 17. It says, the 72 returned with joy. And they said, Lord... Even the demons submit to us in your name. And see, that makes sense because, again, you're in the kingdom of light and you're pushing back against the kingdom of darkness. And the darkness does not like that and the darkness will try to fight back. And it's in those times when you are taking the gospel to places the Holy Spirit's taking you to take it to that you will begin to see manifestations of evil. I promise you that. We've seen it. I've seen it. There are people in this room that have seen it. So listen to what Jesus says next about Satan's kingdom and the authority that he's given us for the mission in Luke chapter 10, verses 18 through 20. Keep on reading the text. It says, He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. Now, the, the phrase there means like demonic entities, not literal snakes and scorpions, but demonic entities. He says, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, I love this, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Don't rejoice just because when you go out on mission with God, you see miracles. I, I did. I, I went through a time, especially when I first got into this, and I started hearing about the miracles that were happening over in Africa and India. I got really excited about that because, honestly, it's neat. But the point is, it says, he says, don't, don't let that be what wows you. What needs to wow you is the fact that your name is written in heaven, that you're a follower of Christ and you're a believer and you've been saved by the blood of the Lamb. Let that be what gives you joy in your heart. So listen to what Jesus says next. I love, um, he goes on Luke chapter 10, verses 21 through 24. And we'll stop here. 
It says, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father. So he just breaks out. He starts, he starts praying right there after the 72 come back. And I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, and you've revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who, knows who the Son is except the Father. No one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. And then He turned to His disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Can I also add to that that those very same prophets and people from the Old Testament longed to see the days that you and I live in right now? They longed to see the days when the new covenant would come into effect where we would have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, the Shekinah glory living inside of us. How amazing it is to know that we live with that reality. But the problem is the Holy Spirit has not been taught in our churches. And I want to change that because he is the one that will give power to this congregation. He is the one that will show us the mission ahead. He is the one that will give us our divine strategies that we're going to need to face the years and the months ahead here at this place. And he is the one, through prayer and fasting, will reveal to us the people out there who need to hear the gospel more than anybody else. Are we willing to go to the Holy Spirit to listen to him? That's the question. That's the question. So to summarize everything that we've been talking about this morning, if we take a step back, if we look at Jesus, there is kind of a model that he displays for us, I think. And I've given this to you this morning, and I hope that you agree, but you see fasting and prayer as a major part of his life. Jesus does not do anything without fasting and prayer. And then he serves people. He serves with purpose. Why is he serving? He's serving for all kinds of reasons, but one of the reasons is because it helps find persons of peace, people that God has already been working on. And then over time, this is the hard part, we got to make time for discipling. That's the hard one. That's the one I'm going to have to wrestle with with my schedule. That's the one you're going to have to wrestle with with your schedule. But we have to have time to share life, not only the Word of God, but life with people. And through discipling them on day one, we teach to embrace multiplication. Why? Because we want them to mature, grow in Christ, and then turn right around and do what we did for them. Now, let me tell you something. If we started doing something like this here, that does not mean necessarily that, that, that we're going to grow this church ginormous. Because the way this model works is not to take one place and make it huge, it's to take a lot of people and send them out so that they start having pockets of believers here and here and here and here and here all over the place. You say, well, that, that, then why, how would we ever have people come here? I've seen one church do this so far. One church back in Tennessee. They uh, took their Sunday Bible class. They got rid of it. And they started doing discipleship groups. And every single person in that discipleship group, every single week, is working to start new discipleship groups out in the community. And so what happens is during the week, they're meeting out in their homes. During the week, they're meeting out in their homes. For the four, four weeks out of the month, that's what they do. They're meeting out in their homes. They're doing discipleship studies. They're doing discipleship groups. They're serving in the community. Uh, most of these people, you'll find them at, at the soup kitchens and places like that because they're looking for persons of peace. And then one time a month, they have a celebration Sunday where everybody gets together, and that's where you get to have big church. Okay, So it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful model. It's something that I think that 
is, is very, very beneficial, and it's something that I want to explore here for the future. So the question I want to leave you with this morning is, how closely does our model of ministry follow the one that Jesus gave us in the Gospels? And it's, it's not very close, but is it possible? Here's my question. Is it possible that God is allowing the church to suffer the losses that it's going through in our culture today while at the same time letting us see what's going on in Africa with the explosion that's happened over there, is he allowing this for us to be able to take pause and say, is there a more biblical approach to outreach? I want to close once more with the words of Jesus from the Great Commission. And this is a good place to stop. I'm going to point one last thing out to you that I forgot to point out to you about three weeks ago. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I want you to notice what he says next. He says, Go. In other words, I have all authority to, to do this mission, and I'm giving it to you. Okay? But I want you to notice the word go in Greek is not an emphatic, it's not a command. You realize that, right? The word there is not a commandment. Now, you might think it's a command, but it's not. It's a participle, and what it means in the Greek is, in your going, or you might say it this way, as you go, let me put it another way. Look, wherever you find yourself in life, that's the amplified version, right? At work, at school, with your children, that, that inconvenient moment where you have a flat tire on the side of the road and somebody comes alongside to help you and all of a sudden you're in a spiritual conversation just so happens as you go, in your going, no matter where you find yourself, that's the idea, Jesus says, make disciples. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you and surely I'm with you always even to the very end of the age. My prayer as we close is that all of us would take these words to heart, to know that outreach is not something we just do on special occasions. It's not a program. It doesn't take any special planning. It doesn't take expertise at all other than just wanting to share something about Jesus. If you are a disciple in this room this morning, I just want us all to know that part of what it means to be a disciple is that at some point you have to take upon someone yourself and disciple them. And that's what it means. So who are you discipling right now? Who are you discipling? Don't, I'm not asking for hands. You don't have to raise your hand. Who are you discipling right now? Don't answer that to me. Answer that to you. If there is someone you are discipling, how can we encourage you in that? How can we support you in that? If you are not discipling someone, Why? Do you feel as though maybe you're not ready to disciple others? Do you want to be discipled? Well, guess what? Next Sunday at 1 p.m., I believe it is 1 p.m., did we sit? A few of you got the text. Correct me if I'm wrong. 1 p.m., we're going to have our first discipleship training session, okay? It's going to be all about learning to hear the voice of God for, your, for yourself, for your life, okay? That's an opportunity. Um, if you don't have someone that you're discipling, then go to the Lord. Ask the Father, is there someone that you're working on in my life? around me that, that I can talk to and, and just wait for the Lord to show you that, that face in your mind. He'll show you. Ask the Lord to give it to you in a dream. Ask the Lord to give you some circumstances that make it plain that this is the person you're to talk to and then do it. Share Jesus Christ with that person. Okay, let's pray and then we'll, we'll close here. Father, we thank you for the blessing 
that you've given us. We thank you for the time. We ask that you would be with us, Lord. You told us in the scriptures, you said that you would be with us even until the very end of the age. And God, we're not there yet. And so we're thankful that you are with us. We entrust to you our lives this morning as we go about our daily walk, as we go up to our meetings and go to lunch and go to all the different things that we're about to do today. As we go in our going, Lord, may we be aware of persons of peace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you need to respond to the invitation, we make this opportunity yours. Um, had a couple people that came to me at the beginning and said, I want prayer. So come on down and we will pray as we stand and sing.